Well, good morning, guys. My name is Daniel Stevanis. My friends call me Stallion, and it is such a privilege to be here hanging out with you guys this morning on Student Weekend. Uh, we're celebrating so much. Let's give one more round of applause for all these confirmation students. They are incredible. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Man, I hope you guys get, I know this is such a small piece, a small glimpse into the life of our student ministry, but I hope that you get to see a little bit what goes on from our incredible team, some of the people that have been out here sharing and talking to you guys, some of the people on the, the band um, that, that lead worship for us each and every week. Um, if you're over in the, in the traditional room, there, there our, our team's doing incredible stuff over there as well. We have students that we're greeting this morning, and we really are so privileged to um, work with some amazing students um, and families. And thank you guys, families, for bringing your students each and every week, um, for investing in them and allowing us to, to serve you guys and, and serve them through that. We enjoy that so much, and it really and truly is a privilege for us. So thank you, each and every one of you guys. Well, we've been in this series called The Waiting Room, and we've gotten some really cool feedback of, of people saying, man, this, is, this has been interesting, this has been good and helpful. You see, each and every one of us, at some point or another, will go through a waiting room in life. Now, we're not talking about the actual physical waiting room, although we all probably have been there at some point, but we're talking about times of life where things get difficult, situations get complicated, and we're not totally sure what to do. Can I get an Amen. We find ourselves in these seasons of life sometimes where we're not sure what's going on, we're not sure what we should be doing, how we should, what we should be focusing on, which end is up sometimes, and we're just, it, it can be crazy. And so we've talked about this a little bit, and today we want to focus specifically on, on how to remain faithful in those seasons. What can we do in those difficult times? But before we do that, I thought I would share with you guys, see, people call me Stallion because I grew up in Italy. My parents are missionaries there. And in Italy, the waiting room, the actual physical waiting room, is a little more stressful than waiting rooms here. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and you can't get upset with me because I'm just the messenger, all right? But you see, waiting rooms in Italy, there's one goal and one goal only, and that is to get to the front of the line by any means necessary, okay? The, the, the end does justify the means when it comes to Italian waiting rooms. You could be in a doctor's office with your, your child who has, like, bronchitis or something, and you could be another mom sitting right across them with a, a child who has like a 97.5 fever. It is your goal to get in front of that other person, okay? Like whatever you have to do, your goal is to get in front of the line no matter what. And people aren't afraid. They aren't afraid to just step in front of you or to lie and say that they were there before you or they had stepped out for a second and came back. And so in the hospital uh, or in the, the doctor's waiting area, it is difficult. In the supermarket, over by the deli section. Like, they've instituted a place where you have to grab a number because people were lying. Like, you'd be looking at the prices over here, and someone's, like, sneaking, oh, I'll take a pound of this. And it's, like, brutal. They've done that over the butcher shop. They've added the, the number system in Italy where you get your fruits and vegetables. They even had to add it in the post office. People were cutting each other in line at the post office. It's just a couple stamps. And one time, I'll never forget this, because when I turned 18, I had to go to a government building. Now, government buildings in Italy, just like in the U.S., sometimes are a little more complicated than the other buildings. <laughs> and so I had to go when I turned 18 to get my Italian ID card. And I was dreading this moment because I knew that I'd be stuck in line. I knew that it'd be a long time. I pretty much carved out an hour and a half of my life where I knew I was just going to have to kiss it goodbye. And so I got there to the room, and it was a pretty small room, maybe like a, a 10 by 20 type room, and there was all these people that were standing there in line waiting. And when I walked in, I immediately kind of surveyed the land and said, you know, where's the end of the line, or what seems to be the end of the line, where's the front of the line? And as I looked towards the front of the line, I saw a lady that I knew. It was my neighbor. 
So she had a son who was my age, and we played every single day. We hung out. We rode bikes. We, we played video games. We talked. We, everything. And this was his mom, and she was waiting in line. Now, she was probably about the next one or two to go up, and so she was standing there just kind of, you know, just kind of thinking, and she looked back and saw me. And immediately, almost as if a light bulb went on in her head, she looked at me, she got this big grin, and she talked to me as if I were her son. And she said, sweetie, did you park the car? Bring me the keys. <laughs> and so I walked all the way up to the, I didn't even have keys in my pockets. And I walked to the front of the line, and she said, listen, I'm about to go up, I'm next in line. You come on up with me, I'll say what I have to do, then you give your paperwork, we'll both be out of here before lunchtime. Now, I'll be honest with you, because I'm, I'm a man of integrity, I did feel bad, and so I actually ended up saying, hey, thank you so much. I can't do that. I think I'm going to go back to the beginning of the line. So victory, triumph, and morals, win in the end. Thank you, thank you. Um, but, but that's what it's like. Sometimes when we're in a waiting room, all we want to do is get out. And yet, sometimes when we're in a waiting room, God has some specific purposes for us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of a guy named David. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we've been encouraging you guys to bring your Bibles each week. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, hopefully you have this. If you have it on your phone, that's okay. Go ahead and look there. We're going to be talking about a lot of different verses and chapters, but we're camping out there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're looking at the life of King David, one of the kings of Israel. And we're going to find out that he actually shows us, demonstrates to us a little bit that in the time of waiting... Being in a waiting room, he shows us that you have to remain faithful to what God has given you. And so we start out in chapter 16, looking at verse 1. We jump right into the passage, and it just says this, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So we start out the story, and immediately we meet this guy named Samuel, and Samuel was a judge for the people of Israel, and he also was a prophet. That means he heard directly from God, and his job was to then take it and go out and give the word to people, kind of like, like a pastor would, or a teacher, or someone who was receiving from the Lord and going out and, and, and telling the people. Now, he had been a part of the people of Israel getting their first king, and that was King Saul. You see, God's plan was for him to be the king of the people of Israel. They insisted they wanted to be like everybody else, like every other nation, and get a king. And so they had gotten King Saul. And at this point of the story, in the chapters leading up to chapters 13 to 15 of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul just starts to kind of do his own thing. Students would say he starts wiling out. And he starts going his own way, doing his own thing. He starts disobeying what God is asking of him. And Samuel, the one who appointed him, is actually the one who has to meet with him face to face and call him out. He says, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is sinful, and God, his, God's spirit has departed from you. And yet he's grieving, he's mourning, and God says, it's done, it's time. He says, fill your horn with oil, go, we're going to find a new king today. So we get to verse 2, Samuel says, how can I go if Saul hears of this, he will kill me. Now rightfully so, Samuel's worried. You see, Saul is king, and God just said, go find a new king, and he's like, uh, let's do some math for a second. Okay, he's still king. I'm going to go find a new king. And you expect him to be cool with this? And so God explains to him. He says, no, don't, don't worry. He goes, this is what you're going to do. And God speaks to him. And he says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice for the Lord. He says, invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. He says, don't worry. He says, go to this town. 
Bring an animal to sacrifice. Invite Jesse and his family to come be a part of it, and I will show you what to do. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you, Samuel. So verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded of him, and we came to Bethlehem. Now the elders of the city came out to meet him, trembling, saying, wait, whoa, time out, whoa, Samuel, Samuel. They said, you come peacefully? You see, up until this point, whenever Samuel would go to a town, his purpose for going, his reason for going, was to call out the Israelites from their sin. Say, here's what you've been doing wrong. Here's how you've been sinning. Here's how you need to repent. And so when they see Samuel at the doors, they're like, uh, why are you here? And so Samuel says to them, replies to them, he goes, yes, verse five, I come peacefully. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Verse six, when they came, he, meaning Samuel, took a, took a look at Eliab, the oldest son, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And the Lord said to Samuel, don't call me Shirley. Um, <laughs> kidding. He says, do not look at his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you guys have heard this verse before? It's a pretty famous verse in scripture. You see, what happened was when Samuel was tasked to find the first king, and he went out in, in chapter 9 and finds Saul, the, one of the things that it says about Saul is that he was a handsome young man. Guys in the front, that's one of the qualifiers of being a king. Handsome young man. It says no one was more handsome than him. And then he said from his shoulders upward, he was taller than many. You see, the thing was he looked the part. He looked like a king. Now, you might be asking yourselves, what does a king look like? If that was your job to, to find a new king, what does a king look like? I didn't know what to do, so I figured I don't know what a king looks like. So I figured I'd do what our students do, and I asked Siri. And I went to Google. I typed in, what does a king look like? And this image popped up. No, no, this is the first image that popped up, a picture of a king. And I thought to myself, ah, that doesn't really fit with the image that I have in my head. So I looked for some more images, and then I found this one instead. <laughs> the Burger King. And I said, okay, okay, we're, maybe we're getting a little warmer. But I said, the, the thing they have in common, these two, is that they have an incredible beard. I thought, maybe a king needs to have a good beard. So I typed in sweet beards, and this is what I found instead. A guy from the NFL. <laughs> My goodness, that could be a king. I don't know where he's going, but I'd follow him. So you have to have a good beard in my mind. And so I found, looked up more pictures of people with good beards. Found this guy. You may recognize him. Oh. <laughs> Not sure where that came from. Uh, but I thought, man, you have to have a beard to be a king. And actually, there's even, uh, if you've ever watched the movie of The Little Mermaid, um, she has her father in, in the story of The Little Mermaid is King Triton. I had to look that up, and, and it was interesting. I found this as I was researching. Someone actually went and photoshopped a picture of him without a beard. Let's take a look at that. <laughs> Doesn't look as scary anymore. Doesn't look as authoritative anymore. You see, what's interesting is that Samuel gets called to go find the king, and his mind immediately is to think, man, I need to go find someone who looks the part, whose outward appearance matches, in my mind, what a king looks like. And God's saying, you don't understand, man looks at the outward appearance. I'm interested in what's happening on the inside. I'm interested in what's happening in his heart. Now, let me tell you something for a second. In student ministry, we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. Because when students come, sometimes they don't look the part. Or sometimes they come in and they're dressed a little crazy. Or sometimes they'll say some weird stuff. Or they listen to music or like shows that, that maybe we don't agree with. 
But we need to be able to look past that. We need to be able to look into their heart and see what God sees and see what God is desiring to do in their lives. And so he tells Samuel, he goes, no, you don't understand. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for what's in the heart. And so the first son walks by. I want us to understand the weight of this. Because when Samuel comes to Jesse, he says, I want to see your sons from them. I'm going to name one of them king. Because of their culture, their society, if you were the firstborn, you would have been like, oh, yeah. Because the firstborn typically was the one to get the birthright. He was the first in line to receive everything. He would have been the first to be named king. So I don't know what that looked like. I don't know when, when, when Samuel said, show me your first son. I don't know if he like walked across the stage like, like trying to like make himself big. All tall and proud. I mean, this wasn't the voice. It wasn't like blind audition, hit the button, turn around. Maybe it was more like American Idol. I don't know. But the first son comes by, and God whispers to Samuel and says, no, that's not the one. Now, imagine if you were the second son. Oh, my goodness. Hey, didn't get my brother. That's right. You shouldn't have lied about that thing to mom. Okay, now it's my turn, okay? And he walks by. Samuel receives from God, no, that's not the one. And then the third one walks by. The fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one, all the way to the seventh son. Now, I want you to put yourselves in his shoes for a second. I don't know if you have a lot of siblings. I don't know where you fall in the lineup, but imagine this, seven. You're number seven. Like, there's no way you thought that you were going to be king. You probably still have cowlick up in your hair, okay? Like, you weren't thinking that day that you were going to be one. When he calls you to walk across, maybe you actually tripped and stumbled because you're the youngest. Maybe you are in the back cracking jokes. I don't know. But the seventh one walks across the stage, sure, confident that he's about to be named king. And God says, no, he is not the chosen one. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are, are all your sons here? <laughs> now, to me, this is a crazy question. Because Samuel, the celebrity guy, Samuel, who, who is a prophet, Samuel, who was one of the judges of the land, the, the best way I can identify him or, or help us understand him is he kind of would have been like, like Billy Graham. Like Billy Graham's coming to your house. Get all of your children. Get all of your, your get all the siblings. Get, every, get all your whole family. Would you not get everyone? Jesse responds. He says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. There was David. They left David out in the field watching the sheep. I mean, this is like a, a truly a Cinderella moment. Like, bring me all your sons. Here they are. Is there any more? Oh, yeah, there's one more, but he's out with the sheep. Like, could they not find a babysitter that day for the sheep? Like, I mean, I, I've heard sheep are dumb. Would they not just, like, roam around, like, come out for five minutes, go back? Like, I don't understand. And I immediately have to ask myself this question. I ask you this question. Would you have been there? Because they send out to go find David. And where is he? He's out watching the sheep. Not me. I'd have been like, peace out. My whole family's getting together. My whole family's doing something incredible. There's this like giant festivity. This, this guy's coming, they're, they're sacrificing. He's gonna pick the next king, what? I wanna be there. And yet they send him out to watch the sheep. You see, what we learn from David in this moment is that David is faithful in the small things. The tasks that he has given, he is faithful in the small things. And what God asks of him, what God says of him to do, David is faithful in those small things. He's out there where he's supposed to be. He's out there in the field like he's supposed to be. He's faithful in the small things. Verse 13 says, Samuel then took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. 
And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And this is now where David enters into his waiting room. Because it says that Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Ramah was Samuel's hometown. It says Samuel came. This big to-do happened. Everyone consecrated themselves. The, the brothers walked in front of him. He says, do you have any more sons? Yeah, there's David. He's on the field. Go get him. He stops everything to go get David. David comes back. He says, yes, this is the one. Scripture says this was the one that God was looking for someone who was after his own heart. God looks at him on the inside and says, this is the one to anoint king. Samuel anoints him as king. And he says, all right, I'll see you later. And he goes back home. He gives them no marching orders. He tells them nothing about what's to come. He doesn't say, you know, when to report back to the castle. I mean, if I'm David, I'm going to have some questions. Like, like, do I need to still go back to the sheep? Am I done with sheep duty? When do I, when do I, when do I come to the castle? Is there a princess at the castle? You know, what's, like, what's happening, okay? And there's none of those things are answered, none of those questions. It says that he returns home. And in the chapters to follow, we see David entering into a true waiting room moment where everything is kind of up in the air. Everything is, is, is put on pause. Now, we don't know if this is in chronological order, but in the next chapters, in the chapters that follow, here are some of the things that we see happen. At the end of chapter 16, because God's spirit has left Saul and rejected him as king, Saul actually starts to get tormented by an evil spirit. And it says that the only way he receives relief from that torment is through music. And so he sends out a search. He says, bring me the best musician in the land. And not only was David good with the sheep, he was an amazing musician. He plays the harp. And so they bring him in. He plays for Saul, and, and Saul loves it. It's the only thing that soothes him when he receives this torment. That he says, I need him to stay here permanently. And so David, like, transfers into the castle or into the, 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 the king's quarters, but he's there to play music, not to be king. Then afterwards, we also see the battle of David and Goliath, where David's again on sheep duty, and he gets sent to the battle not to fight, not to do something incredible, but he actually gets sent there to bring the brothers bread and cheese. He's a glorified errand boy. After his battle with Goliath, he becomes popular. People get to recognize him and know him. He becomes friends with Jonathan, who is Saul's son. Here he is made a war general, and Saul's jealousy starts to kick in. When he sends David out to the battlefield to win, to fight these different battles, God gives favor because this is the new king that he's appointed, that he's chosen. And it says that when he would come back from the battle, the people would sing in the streets, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul starts to get jealous and angry. It says it comes to the point actually where two times while David was playing the harp for Saul, Saul reached for his spear and threw it at David to try to kill him. And two times David... <laughs> ninja skills, moved out of the way and, and, and was spared from it. This isn't in the Bible, not ninja, but it says that he evaded the spear. <laughs> Eventually, Saul gets to the point where he's, he's open about it. He, he wants to give him his daughter in marriage, and, and he says, in order to get my daughter, here's what you have to do, and he sends him on this super complicated, risky mission. Eventually, he doesn't even care to hide it. He basically says, I want David dead. And David flees. He gets up and he runs and hides. Now, this is where we hear the story in <clears throat> chapter 24, the first time He's hiding in a cave, and Saul comes into the cave as he's on a search to find David, ends up in the same cave where David is hiding. It says he comes in the cave, he doesn't know David is there, and David is actually able to reach out and cut a piece of his garment. And then later from afar, he says, listen, I could have killed you, but I know this is God, not God's plan. I'm trying to be faithful in the small things. Here's the garment. I could have killed you, and, and Saul wants nothing to do with it. 
A second time, when Saul and his army are encamped, David and his men rush down and find it, find the tent that Saul is in. They break into the tent. They find his spear. The guys say to David, take the spear, kill him. He says, no, this isn't God's timing. And he spares his life. And it gets to the point in chapter 31 when Saul actually dies. The beginning of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, the first thing that we see is David's song of lament as he mourns the death of his king. It's like, David, hello, this is the guy who's trying to kill you. He's finally out of the picture. You can finally be king. And his heart is more concerned with the fact that their nation lost their leader. He wants to do everything in God's timing. He wants to do everything right. He wants to be faithful in the small things. In his waiting room experience, David is more concerned with doing what is right, with remaining faithful to what God has asked him to do. Now, he learned this way early on watching the sheep, but it's continued throughout his life. And you see, the, the stories of Saul, the stories of David are written in this book. They're meant to be character studies for us to read about these characters, to learn about these characters, and then to ask ourselves questions, how do I fit in the story? What, what would it look like for me to be like this? And the truth is, David's faithfulness in these small things is something that, that, that God wants to teach us. That he wants to ask us, are we being faithful in what God has called us to do? You see, so many of us, we see what people are doing in their lives. Some people say we see their highlight reels. We see on Instagram, on Facebook, on social media, we see all the great things that people are doing. We see the, the trips that they're going on. We see the, the people they're hanging out with. We see the, the parties, the events that they're going to. We see what kind of house they got, or who they married, or, or what kind of vacation they're going on with their family. And we want that. We want to receive that. But we don't realize that there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened in order for them to get to that place. We're interested with the outcome. We're not interested in how they actually got there. And yet God calls us on his journey to be faithful in the small things, to be faithful in the waiting room because he's preparing us for bigger, better, and greater things. Someone once said, a pastor once said, that God prepares us through our faithfulness in the known here and now. He's preparing us for the unknown that is to come later on. A friend of mine said, he used to say it like this. He said, everybody wants to be famous don't nobody want to put the work in. Everyone wants to be famous, but no one wants to do what it takes to get there. And what's crazy about the story of David is that through this waiting room, we're always reminded of his faithfulness of being the shepherd boy. You know, probably one of his greatest accomplishments was in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he fights Goliath. You see, when he goes to the battlefield and he's going to bring food and snacks to, to his brothers and to their generals, and he hears of this giant who's, who's, who's making fun of the people of Israel, making fun of God, and he gets offended, he gets frustrated, he gets mad to the point where he wants to meet with the king so that he can go out and fight him himself. In chapter 17, verse 34 and 35 and 36, he says this, your servant, speaking about himself, used to keep sheep for his father, and there... When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the, one, has defied the, armies of the living God. David asked, the Lord who delivered me from the paw, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
You see, his greatest accomplishment, his greatest moment of victory, of fighting a giant that all the armies, all the people were afraid of, David is able to win that battle, and he says, why? He says, because when I was in the field, when I was a shepherd boy, when I was in the waiting room, when I was out doing what I was supposed to be doing, God prepared me. God prepared me for battle. So the lion came, punched him. The bear came, punched him too. And if they rose against me, I'd grab him by the beard and kill him. He says, what happened in those moments was the training that I needed for this moment, this battle. I don't know what your waiting room is. Students, your waiting room probably looks different than mine. Probably looks different than the waiting room of our parents, married couples, retired people. I'm not sure where you are in life, but, but scripture is clear. Jesus repeats this in Luke. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. So if God has called you to do something, whatever it is, I mean, the, the waiting room is not fun. It's not easy. It's not exciting. It's hard to get motivated. But we need to understand that the preparation that happens in that waiting room, if we're willing to be faithful to God, willing to be faithful to his word, to his calling. God will prepare us for things that we can't even see that are gonna happen in the future. Things that we can't even imagine. Things that we don't know nothing about yet. God is using that as a way to prepare us. So I don't know where your, your waiting room is. I'm not sure where you are in life or what's happening or what's going on or, or, or how you feel about it. But my question for you is what is God asking you to do? Where do you need to remain faithful? Where do you need to take the truths that you learned these past 10 weeks in confirmation and say, I'm gonna apply these to my whole life? Where do you need to take the disciplines that God has given you? Where do you need to take what God has already commanded you to do in the past and remain faithful so that he can prepare you for things to come in the future? If someone comes to find you in the field with your sheep, it's not fun, it's not glamorous, it's not exciting work, but would you be there? And I'll be honest with you guys, this is one of the things that is such a struggle for me. I just want to be in the, in the, in the, the mountaintop experiences, the mountaintop moments. I want, to, I want the highlight reel. But God says, are you willing to be faithful in all that I've called you to do? My question for you guys is, are you willing to be faithful in the little things? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Again, I don't know what God is asking of you today. I'm not sure where you need to be faithful. I'm not sure what your waiting room looks like. I don't know what's going on in your life. But God knows, and he hears, and he sees. And he's asking you today, are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to stay the course? Are you willing to keep going with what I'm asking you to do? because I want to train you, I want to prepare you for incredible things that are yet to come. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. Father, speak to us today, this week as we go home. Continue to, to speak to our hearts. Reveal to us, Father, those areas where we need to stay faithful. Show us what it means. Show us what we can do.
prepare us for the great things that you have to come. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your precious name.